This is a Federal News Network podcast. On the theory it's never too early to get people to think about military careers, the Naval Sea Cadet Corps program encourages interest in naval topics in students 10 years old through high school. For one recent program success, the National Director of Education of the U.S. Naval Sea Cadet Corps, Richard Quest. Mr. Quest, good to have you on. Thank you very much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. And also the program coordinator, retired Lieutenant Commander John Woods. Mr. Woods, good to have you on. Yes, thanks for having me. So first of all, just give us the orientation here. What is the U.S. Naval Sea Cadet Corps all about? Sure. Uh, the U.S. Naval Sea Cadet Corps is a youth leadership program uh, affiliated with the United States Navy and U.S. Coast Guard. And what we do is we build leaders of character. The program's for 10 to 18-year-old young men and women. We have approximately 400 units that serve about 11,500 cadets around the country in 46 states, Guam and Puerto Rico. We are a nonprofit organization affiliated very closely with the United States Navy and Coast Guard. Good to have the Coasties included in there, too, because they're at sea also. And this is in public schools and private schools. It's available throughout? It is. We're actually an after-school program. Our cadets meet once a month, generally. But then we have many advanced training opportunities throughout the course of the year. Some of these trainings will include just the very basics, uh, recruit training. Uh, there's all sorts of STEM opportunities, robotics, leadership. There's field operations. SEAL training, SCUBA, international exchanges, military police training, seamanship, seaboard operations. I mean, you you name it. If the Navy and the Coast Guard are offering this, we're offering a modified version of that that's hands-on for these 10 to 18-year-olds. I may contribute the canoe that's been hanging in my garage for the past 15 years. (laughs) And the program we're talking about today has to do with oceans, oceanography, buoys, and sensors. John, tell us about this program. Yeah, so the Arctic Buoy Program, this is in its second iteration. It's really great because it highlights that hands-on STEM activities that these cadets are doing. So they're actually building sensors and then deploying the sensors out into the environment that they're trying to measure. In this case, it's the Arctic. So they're collecting weather observations, ocean observations, how the ice is moving on the ocean. And then that data is actually being used into the global weather prediction models. So this is you know, real data that's getting collected and put into real models. So the students made buoys or did they, what did they actually do? Yeah. So they built these, you know, little sensor boards. So, you know, a, a temperature sensor, a barometric pressure sensor, a GPS. Like a circuit along board. Along with this. A circuit board, yep. And all the sensors were integrated onto that circuit board. And then the key to all this was a satellite transmitter, right? So that you you collect the data on this self-contained buoy, and then you beam the data up to a satellite link, go over the Iridium network, and then that's how the the data gets transferred onto the the operational users. So they soldered and screwed together these things and so forth and even were obtained the parts, I guess. And what about the buoy that it's in that has to presumably float and be waterproof? Yeah, so the really unique opportunity that they had was to design their own buoy hulls. So they were designing them in in computer software, and then we were actually printing a few of them using 3D printers, which is really an awesome use of the new technology. And how big are they? Yeah, so they're about basketball size, so they're manageable, so one person can deploy these. Uh, Right now, we're working up in uh, Utkiavik, Alaska, which is on the north slope of Alaska. So, you know, a single person can deploy one of these using a snow machine or, or walking out on the ice. Got it. So it sits in a certain place. There's a chain and an anchor on it. So it's not in the deep ocean, but or no. So we actually place these on the ice so we can measure the ice movement. 
And the really unique thing about the Arctic, right? So the buoy has to survive both sitting on the ice and then when the ice melts, floating in the water. So that's a really unique characteristic of this design. That sounds like a really neat, fun thing to have some kids do. We're speaking with John Woods. He is the program coordinator. And we are also speaking with Richard Quest, U.S. Naval Sea Cadet Corps National Director of Education. And Rick, what has been the effect of pandemic and the separation of of all of this had on the program and the ability to see and interact with the students? Well, we started this uh, program this last year, and the pandemic hit right mid-program. But John and his team, uh, you know, we're working with Dr. Ignatius Rigger out of uh, the University of Washington. We're walking with Professor uh, Cy Keener out of the University of Maryland. And, you know, they adapted very quickly this last year. But mid-program, we had to move to a completely virtual environment. This year, we simply planned for it. And John and his team just pulled it off, you know, in outstanding fashion. So, Imagine now 43 cadets spread around the country meeting virtually uh, several weekends throughout the course of the program, and this is our reality now. And so we're able to pull it off. Cadets were sent their own kits, their own Arduino boards, breadboards, and so forth to actually compile everything and, and pull it all together. And this is the reality of the situation. So nobody skipped a beat. Of course, we'd prefer to be in person. Part of the program is we want to get cadets actually up into the Arctic. That was not possible this last year or this year. But going forward, as we continue the program, we hope to be able to do that. So really, John and his team did an outstanding job and didn't really miss a beat. Wow. So there is the opportunity then in the future for them, for some of the cadets at least, to be able to take their basketball size sensors and, and bring them physically to where they're that's, going to be deployed. That's right. Absolutely. And I do have to say, and John, I checked the data this morning. We still have from last year, we still have one buoy transmitting data over a year later, which is just outstanding. So the idea is that cadets get up there and actually be part of that International Arctic Buoy Program and uh, deploy those uh, buoys and actually be part of the research team. Is the limiting factor a battery inside of it? I mean, that is to say, is there a chance they could go retrieve them, recharge it and keep it going? Yeah, so the batteries are are usually the limiting factor. The batteries or being crushed or possibly even destroyed by a polar bear. We've had uh, instances where some of our buoys, you know, the the basketball size is kind of perfect for a polar bear to say, "Hey, that looks interesting," and go over and play with it. So, uh, yeah, these, uh, you know, ideally we get about you know six months to a year, which is a, a good long run. But uh, sometimes, you know, we lose them overnight, even the day after we deploy them. And again, looking at the larger program here, do you get the sense or do you have the statistics to show that this might lead a substantial number of the students to pursue a Navy or Coast Guard career? Yes, we do track those stats. And there are approximately a thousand cadets a year that graduate from our program. Of those, 650 choose to join one of the military branches every year. Over 450 specifically will enlist or commission to the United States Navy or Coast Guard. And then an additional 300 are off to two and four-year colleges and universities, many joining an NROTC type program. What's really interesting, and we're very proud of this, is anywhere from 10 to 12 percent of the incoming class at the United States Naval Academy is made up of sea cadets every year. So that's a very, very exciting trend for us. I would also say that one of the uh, partnering opportunities that we have and one of our sponsors to help us kind of get the word out there is the Navy League of the United States. And our headquarters is uh, right there in Arlington in that national headquarters. 
And so, you know, that's one of those partnerships that helps us to kind of grow all of this. And well, uh, if you can get them to go to the Sea Air Space conference every year, what an array of hardware and stuff there is to see at that show. Precisely. And so we're working this year with John and his team, and uh, we'll be there actually that Sunday, I believe it's August 1st. There's a STEM exposition. Our sea cadets will be there, and we will have uh, some of those Arctic buoys right there. They're going to be in the harbor right there where they hold it, National Harbor. They're going to have a couple of those for people to see and work with them to provide that. And John, that must be especially satisfying to you, the ones that go to the academy, because if I understand it, you are also an academy graduate. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm an alumni and I actually still live in Annapolis, which is outstanding. We still have a, a strong tie to the Naval Academy. What I really enjoyed this last session we did, uh, we held some office hours where we allowed the, the cadets to talk kind of from a professional knowledge, you know, future career options. And just the uh, the sheer excitement in their discussion and their questions of their future plans, both at the academy or even, you know, serving their country in other, other aspects uh, or going off to college and doing cool science was, was really neat to see. Retired Lieutenant Commander John Woods has been our guest. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. And Richard Quest, thank you very much. Our pleasure. Thank you very much. And they are both with the U.S. Naval Sea Cadet Corps. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, Great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I, think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees, Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, 
we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place. So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit, different than it is in the private sector. Uh, My father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, He joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second a major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime, and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.